In the previous episode, I reflected on certainly my journey as a physician and hormone expert and prescribing bioidentical hormones. And what I had realized with my own journey was that it really takes more than hormones to fix our hormones. And through that, that's where the food as medicine really hit home for me and creating what I call my keto green way of eating and the lifestyle that goes with it. Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare, a podcast for health and wellness practitioners passionately committed to transforming our current broken disease-focused system. Your host, Dr. Rita Marie Los Calzo, is devoted to helping you get results with complex health challenges like autoimmune, hormonal imbalances, and chronic health challenges caused by nutritional and lifestyle-induced imbalances. Here's your host, Dr. Rita Marie. Welcome back to Reinvent Healthcare, the podcast for health and wellness practitioners who are passionate about making a difference. As we come to the end of our functional food facts theme, it's time to address the elephants in the room. If you're a health practitioner who really wants to help people to get well, not to just cover up symptoms, not to just apply protocols, whether nutritional or pharmaceutical, we are doing a live event that's just right for you. It's called Functional Nutrigenomics in Clinical Practice. And it's all about how you can learn the genetic testing you can do with people to help you to personalize their diet and lifestyle plans. And when you put that together with your typical really great functional history and lab testing, you're gonna have all you need. So join us for an online virtual event that you can attend from anywhere. It's June 2nd to 4th, 2023. And you can get there by going to nesliveconference.com. That's nesliveconference.com. And we'll also put the link on the show notes page. On today's episode, we're going to explore the most common questions I get from practitioners about how to guide their patients and clients to adopting healthy food choices, and some of the questions you may be getting from your patients and clients about how food influences function. We'll also discuss the food phobia that's developed as a result of the availability of so many summits and podcasts and blogs that profess their own food religion which creates a fear of eating and confusion in people. Because there are endless possibilities for a segment on functional food facts, we'll likely come back and revisit this and add additional topics later. So let's get started. One of the most common questions I get from practitioners is, how do I explain functional food and the need for food changes in such a way as to get buy-in? Well, if, if you're a traditional medical doctor, or I would say conventional Western medicine trained doctor, this is very different than the way that you typically approach client care, patient care. So if you're in a medical office, they're not used to the doctor saying, well, Sarah, what foods are you eating? They may interfere with some of the medications you're taking. What kind of preferences do you have? What's the timing of your food? Nobody's asking them that. And you're going to start. So you'll get a little bit of uh, maybe kickback, but maybe what you're going to get is like, wow, this is so cool. Nobody asked me these questions before. I never knew there was a connection 
between what I was eating and when I was eating and my health. So you'll get some of that. But here's the thing. So many of the people that you're running into these days have been to Dr. Google, right? And they've Googled everything and they've come up with all kinds of confusing information. You need to avoid lectins and you need to avoid oxalates and go on a gluten-free diet. That'll cure you. Go plant-based, eat only animals, eat lots of sugar, don't eat lots of sugar. Well, I don't know of anybody that's saying eat lots of sugar. So that was just an exaggeration, but don't eat any sugar. There's all these things that are out there and people are getting confused. The other thing is they're getting scared. They're getting to be the, the point of being afraid, afraid to eat because it might fall in one of those categories of things that are bad for them. So here's what I say. When you explain, when you understand and explain the science behind your recommendations, you get buy-in. People love to understand the why, but also the how. And when you can explain it, they may not be able to tell you back what you just said. They may not even be able to explain it to their family or their friends why they're doing what they're doing. But because they understand it, they're going to buy in. They may go and say, well, the doctor said, or the, my health coach said, you know, this food did something in one of these things related to my fats and inflammation. And I have lots of inflammation, so therefore, I'm going to follow this. So they buy in. I've heard this from the mouths of my own clients over and over and over again. If I understand how it works, if I understand why you're making this recommendation, I'm much more likely to follow through. Yeah, I might fall off the horse every now and then, but I know I can get back on because it makes total sense. Another way to get buy-in, this is a more expensive way to get buy-in, but running labs. There's a lot of functional labs. We're going to have a whole segment in this podcast later on on labs and functional testing and how you can use those. So if you run the labs and you show them right there what's out of balance, I always say, you got them lying naked on your table. You can't, they can't hide from it, that there's certain imbalances that they can correct by making changes to their diet. They're all in. The other way is running genetic tests. Now, 23andMe is all over the place these days, and there's lots of others now that a lot of people have their genetic testing. They don't know what to do with it because the reports they get from those services are not that great. But when you can look at them and you can say, well, this marker says you may have trouble with this food. This marker says you need more of this particular type of food. You'll be shocked at the buy-in you get. I remember coaching with somebody on a call and I looked at their labs and I uh, looked at their their genetics, and they had particular markers that are markers for not quite celiac. They weren't the full-blown celiac, but for gluten intolerance, and they had quite a number of them. And as I explained this to them, they looked me in the eye as best they could over a Zoom call and said, oh my, I guess you were right that I really should go off of gluten. This was something I'd been telling them. They'd been in our program for years. And they were like, yeah, I do it a little bit. And then I go back. When they saw that, they knew that they needed to do this. And then some other questions that come up. What about my scope of practice? Am I allowed to run labs? Am I allowed to explain genetics? And here's what I say. The way you explain what you're doing 
makes all the difference. If you say, hey, Mary, I'm going to run these labs and we're going to diagnose your condition and I'm going to put you on a treatment plan, that may be out of your scope of practice. That's not a good way to say it. And whether you're a medical doctor who does have that within scope of practice or a health coach who doesn't, you still have to be careful because a lot of doctors these days, and I'm hoping that that's why you're here, is you're starting to do more long-distance stuff. You're starting to do outside. It's not really the long-distance medical type of stuff. It's more health coaching with people. And so when you're in that situation, you know, if Dr. X is licensed in Maryland and patient Y is in California, you don't have the jurisdiction in that state to do diagnosis and treatment. So here's the way that you word it. You say, Mary, I'd like to run a few labs. What these labs are going to do is help us to pinpoint some biochemical imbalances in your body that may be predisposing you to some of the symptoms that you're having, to some of the imbalances that are causing hormones to be out of whack, that will help us to determine what foods are best for you, what nutrients you need to focus on, and which ones aren't. And you explain it that way, and you say, once I go through these with you, I'm going to educate you. Remember, the word educate is not interpret. I'm going to educate you about what your labs are saying, and then together, we're going to come up with a plan to help you to reverse them. Wow, what a difference, right? Instead of, I'm going to diagnose you, and I'm going to treat you. So be careful of those words. I always tell all my students in NEPT, the Nutritional Endocrinology Practitioner Training that I run, I tell them, stay away from the DTs, right? Diagnosis and treatment. Don't use those words. Find other words to use them. So it can be within your scope of practice. And there are a lot of direct access labs available, quite a number of them these days, where you can go in and anybody off the street can go in, not just you as a health coach, but you can go in as a person that is wanting to take charge of their own health and say, I want these labs, these labs, these labs. Obviously, the average person doesn't know what labs to order, but you can help them. So that's part of our job, our mission as functional health practitioners, as nutritional endocrinology practitioners. That's what I teach my people to do. So you can go to these direct labs. I prefer that the client order their labs versus me. That way there's no, there's no blurring. There's no like, oh, you're out of scope of practice. No, they can order them directly. You just can give them an idea of what to order. Same thing with supplements, by the way. You know, I'm not a big fan of supplements because I prefer to use food, but it's obvious that we have to use supplements. So I don't like to order them for the people. Like there's great services like Fullscript that a lot of people use. I personally don't. I give people a list and then I send them to what I think are good distributors and places that have good quality stuff. So let's talk about some of the questions your clients may be asking. The biggest question I get is, okay, what's left to eat? What they've done is they've gone out and they've listened to the summits and they hear about lectins and oxalates and salicylates and nightshades and gluten and dairy. And they hear all this stuff, low glycemic diet, there's a keto diet, a paleo diet. What the heck's the difference between them? They're confused. They're extremely confused. And if they were to apply all of these principles and get rid of oxalates and lectins and salicylates and nightshades and you name it, FODMAPs, 
there's nothing left to eat. So they're confused. They don't know what to eat. So then they just go and they binge on junk. So that what's left to eat question is super important. Now, when you're dealing with this, you've got to mention to people, yeah, there's some people who are sensitive to oxalates and, and need to avoid them temporarily. There's some people who need to avoid FODMAPs temporarily because they've got some gut imbalance. There's some people who need to be careful about lectins. But the truth of the matter is not everybody needs to be aware and avoiding every one of these things. So it's really, really, really important that you be the voice of sanity, that you be the voice of reason. As you're explaining to people, oh, it's important to include more greens for all those great fibers for your gut and all the antioxidants and phytonutrients. And they go, but what if I can't eat kale? What if I can't eat this? And so it's really important for us to be there to ask the right questions to help them to come to the conclusion that they may not need to avoid all of these things they think they need to avoid, that we can help them to identify the imbalances in their body that says, oh, okay, avoid these foods, avoid this category of foods, and it's usually temporarily, except the category of foods in which M&Ms and Cheetos and all that stuff goes into, right? The the non-foods. But amongst all the good foods, Hopefully, you can get people back on them after a temporary restriction to help heal the underlying body. So what if I can't eat this? What if I can't eat that? A lot of people come in and say, I want to run this this 100 food test panel. Or there's this, oh, saliva testing for food allergies. Have you heard of it? Or other things like that. Hair testing for food allergies. Personal experience, just my own personal experience, been in practice over 30 years, I have not found a food intolerance test that I fell in love with. In fact, most of them I have fallen out of love with. I used to do them early on. And then it got to the point where I didn't feel like they were really matching reality. So we can have a whole nother discussion in our testing section when we do some podcasts on testing and I'll bring some experts in and I'll talk myself about that and the limitations of that. There are limitations. So how do you determine, well, my kinesiologist tested me and I can't eat this and this and this, but I can't eat this and this and this. Okay, muscle testing can be a great tool in the hands of somebody who knows how to do it. In the hands of someone who's not just looking at giving you some supplements to take. And there are a lot of people who you just go in and they go muscle test, muscle test, muscle test. You walk out with $300 worth of supplements and... They don't usually work. So there's some really good strategies and and techniques for using muscle testing to help identify food sensitivities. But don't just think that you can learn it in a half a day weekend, you know, or two day weekend even, and then be the expert on just testing the foods without understanding the science. That's it. When you use muscle testing or pendulum testing or any of that in combination with an amazing history, and knowing that person, knowing the science behind their symptoms, and then knowing the science behind nutrition, behind the vitamins, the minerals, the foods. When you know that, you can make a really educated assumption or recommendation, much more so than if you're just taking a weekend class in muscle testing, and now you're the expert in telling people what they can and can't eat. 
it's a combination. It's a holistic approach, right? We have to use all the tools we have, all the assessment tools we have. Here's the other thing people tend to do. They focus on individual nutrients. So they'll say, oh, but with that diet, where am I getting enough protein? How am I going to get enough calcium without milk? How am I going to get enough protein without steak? How am I going to get? How am I going to get? How am I going to get? Because what they've done is they've reduced food and nutrition to this little reductionistic type thing. It's not that. It's the whole The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. You've heard that expression before. There have been scientific studies that looked at that with relationship to foods. So we really need to look at that. And then just finalizing on this, what I call the food religions, right? Everybody's got the dogma about it. I don't believe in dogma, whether it's religion dogma or food dogma. I believe we have to personalize things for each individual based on where they are now, not based on where they were a year ago or based on where they're going to be in the future, because it changes as you help them to uncover the layers and the onion of all the disruptions and and they get better. Their food choices can get better, can improve, can widen, can broaden, or narrow down at certain times in their life. So food religions, I call them. I know maybe that's sacrilegious, but that's how I envision it. People are like, you have to have the, everybody has to be on the low lectin diet. Chia seeds are bad for everybody. Oh, oxalates are terrible. And, and almonds need to be avoided by everybody because they're high in oxalates or, or spinach or whatever. No, we need to temper common sense with food science common sense with food science. So how do we help people in that regard? Well, in our nutritional endocrinology program, we have this whole like 15, 20 page, 20 hour module on food religions where I go through each one of those. And when you understand who they're good for, who they're not good for, who needs to be strict about avoiding salicylates, who doesn't, You can design their diet so they're not saying what's left to eat. They're going, wow, this is so amazing. I'm eating more than I have in a long time, and I'm feeling better than I have in a long time. The other thing that you're going to hear them ask you or tell you is, I already have a good diet. I already have a good diet. It can't be diet. What else is there? Is there a particular supplement? Is there a particular herb? Is there a particular medication that I need? to help myself get better. So when they really, when they say they think they have a good diet, you got to find out. You can't just take that at face value. That's like saying, oh, my digestion's good. Oh, okay. And then you skip on. You have bowel movements on a regular basis? Yeah. No, (laughs) you got to ask them how many, how many times a day? What do they look like? What color are they? Same thing with food. You can't just say, oh yeah, well, yeah, I avoid gluten, dairy, and uh, sugar. You know, I'm, I'm good, and it hasn't made a difference. Or the, I did that before, and it didn't make a difference. So these are the kinds of things that come up about food. It comes up about other things, too, in our practices, but comes up about food. So you've got to do a food diary. You've got to have them write things down. They may want to just scribble it on a piece of paper. Great. It's better than nothing. But an app, like a chronometer type app, where you just have them log for three days, and you get to really see what they're eating, how much of each thing they're eating, and then how 
you can um, affect their nutrition, their macronutrients, their micronutrients based on what they're eating. So it's really important to look beneath the covers to see what they're really eating that constitutes their quote-unquote good diet. Now, if you look and they're like, oh my gosh, they look like they're eating gluten-free and dairy-free and egg-free, sugar-free, and they're avoiding this and they're eating that and they're getting a lot of good nutrients, then what you have to look at is, number one, are there particular food sensitivities? This is where I start to look at, maybe they are sensitive to oxalates or salicylates or histamines in the foods, et cetera. Then you dig deeper. And knowing, like what we teach in, in NEPT, is knowing what those symptoms are of an imbalance in that particular area. Like too much histamine causes you to get red and swollen and eyes and things like that. And if you're sensitive to oxalates, you may have like grittiness in your eyes or vulvodynia or other symptoms like that. So when you know that, you know how to help them to avoid temporarily or longer term, specific food constituents. They may be sensitive. They may be sensitive from an allergic response to specific foods that they're not aware of because they're hidden in foods. They're in little quantities in foods. And they just just feel awful all the time, right? They don't just feel awful after they sit down and eat an omelet. They feel awful all the time. So it's really digging in and knowing how to do an elimination diet, knowing how to do the provocation that comes after an elimination diet, knowing how to ask the right questions to determine where that sensitivity might lie. And then there's good old cross-contamination. They may think they're on a gluten-free diet, but there's gluten sneaking in. So a lot of the gluten-free products, they have, still have gluten in them. There were some independent tests done and found that only about 60% of the products labeled gluten-free were actually gluten-free. There were cross-contamination. So one of the ways you can find that out is by running a lab. There's a couple of labs. I just heard about a new one recently with a research, but the one that I've seen before is like Vibrant America has the Gluten Zoomer. And you go through Gluten Zoomer and it will sh test all kinds of subfractions of that gluten. And if it shows up that you're having an allergic reaction to it, it's a current one. It doesn't show up past allergens. So it's like you're being exposed. We had a guy in one of our programs who had been gluten-free for three or four years and things were just his autoimmune disease wasn't getting better the way we thought it should. And, you know, things were just not happening. And so we ran that test and found out that, yeah, indeed, he had a lot of, of, of reaction, immune reaction to gluten. He's like, how could I, ha I haven't eaten gluten in four years. Well, for him, it turned out relatively easy to find. He had this lentil soup he liked to eat. And when they read the ingredients, there were some kind of disguised sources of gluten in that soup. And he'd been eating it like three, four times a week. So there's things like that. Somebody is going to the bakery and getting that gluten-free bread or the gluten-free muffin. I don't trust it because it's likely there's a cross-contamination. And you can test it by doing some testing on people to see. So it only takes a little bit. And that's the other thing people say. Well, it's only a little bit. It's only a little bit. One of my colleagues said that he had a nun as a patient, and it turned out that she, she was going gluten-free. She wasn't getting better. And finally, he asked her about um, communion, taking communion. And she said, yeah, I do it once a week. Is it gluten-free communion? Because apparently there exists that. 
She says, oh, I didn't know that existed. She went and requested that, got off the wheat wafer communion, and guess what? She started getting better. So it doesn't take much. There are some studies that say as much as, you know, a little crumb of gluten can trigger the response and trigger the inflammation and trigger the autoimmunity. And that can be happening with stuff. There may be some corn flour in one of their supplements or in one of their their foods that they're eating that they wouldn't even think had corn and if they're sensitive to corn. So it's really knowing how to dig in and pull out those foods that they're sensitive to and look for cross-contamination. The other thing, when they have a good diet, they may have a good diet now. Have they had that good diet for a long time? Some people come in and I've got a good diet and they've been doing it for like three months. And some people it is longer. But we got to look at digestive issues, microbiome impairment. And when the microbiome is off, it makes people's digestion a little bit wonky. And that could be creating these symptoms that they want to get rid of, the fatigue, the, the brain fog, and all that. The other thing that we need to consider when, is it a good diet for them? It might be a good diet for someone else, is the macro ratios how much protein, carbohydrate, and fat. And there's so much misinformation about that out there. Oh, wow, somebody wants to do a keto diet that has to be like 85 fat and and 10 protein and 5 carb. Well, that's not necessarily true. You can be in ketosis with very different ratio. You got to be careful about people who have gallbladder problems and, and who have the APOE44 variant who don't digest fats real well. And adjusting it to how they feel, not just the paper, not just the numbers from a lab or a genetic test, but how do they feel? And playing with that, being with people and doing food experiments and telling them they're the ultimate lab. Play with that. Add a little of this, add a little less that. For some people, just adding a little protein to a meal, protein powder or some other source of protein can make a huge, huge difference in their food cravings in between meals. And the last one I'll mention here, we've talked about a lot in our metabolism, our blood sugar insulin section of this podcast, was blood sugar testing. Very few people are teaching folks how to test their own blood sugar at home and determine what foods are right for them. Yeah, I may be able to eat a mango, and you may not because your blood sugar goes through the roof. So these are all the things that you as a functional practitioner in helping people to use food as functional medicine, so to speak, to balance their body, you get to know this and you get to help this and you get to be the hero because nobody else is doing this. A lot of people are focusing, like I said a little earlier, on the, the nutrients rather than the whole foods. And that becomes reductionistic. We have to look at food as this this big picture item, right? If I extract vitamin C from an orange, is it the same nutrition as eating an orange? No. But there are times when you need to extract it because if the person eats the orange, their blood sugar goes through the roof or they have a histamine reaction. So it's learning when to use individual nutrients and when to use the functional food components. When you go to reinvent healthcare, dot com forward slash food, you are going to have all the resources you need. Well, from the research I've done, there's probably more out there, but I've got my charts in there of what foods and herbs you can get certain nutrients from. 
So for example, it was mostly herbs because foods, food charts are abundant, but these herb charts were not. So which herbs do you want to eat for vitamin C? Oh, you can add a hibiscus tea and get a tremendous amount of vitamin C and chromium and other things like that. So go to reinventhealthcare.com forward slash food and download that document. It's, it's a treasure trove. It got very big. It was initially going to be like a half a dozen to a dozen pages, and it's probably three dozen pages. So enjoy that. Finally, how do we do this personalization? How do we get to the point where we can help people recommend a diet that's right for them? Number one, you don't do it on one visit. You do it with a careful history, a careful checking of their environment, of their foods, of their pantries, of the way, the quality that they're eating. You have to look at all those things and looking at their food diaries, obviously. And people, a lot of practitioners say, well, it's hard to do that. And I'm trying to like adapt to a group kind of practice rather than so much one-on-one. What I've figured out over these last 20 years of thinking about this and putting it online over the last 12 years is that you can have the best of both worlds. And here's how. You can have a program that teaches people about how to eat right for themselves, for what's going on. You can give them assessments that they can self-score. And in a group setting, you can teach them how to use those scores to personalize their diet. You can say, if you have this response, then this is a good food for you. If you have this response, this is not a good food for you. You can teach it one-on-one, but include the personalization. And you can do like I do, is we have levels of a program where there's group, and then there's groups that have a few one-on-ones, and then there's groups that where there's a lot of one-on-one. And you can assign it to you. We assign to our coaches, our, our graduates of nutritional endocrinology, our certified coaches. We'll take a group of people and take them through that and help them to personalize. So you can have the best of both worlds. Yeah, it is work, but it's what's missing in our broken system. Our system is focused on taking people who have particular diseases, who have particular symptoms, and band-aiding over it with medications. And don't get me wrong, I'm not anti-medication. There are times when they are needed, but they're not needed for these chronic health challenges and imbalances that people are coming to us for. So yeah, it is work, but we need to be at the forefront of this new paradigm of healthcare. Start with general guidelines, right? Everybody needs to get off the M&Ms. Let's just face it, right? Everybody needs to get off the Coke and the Pepsi, and there's certain guidelines that everybody does. I start with the basic guidelines. Usually I start with the adds rather than the subtracts. What can they add in? Then we do swaps. And we've got a really good swap chart. I think it's in that reinventhealthcare.com forward slash food. I know it's in NEPT. Start with those guidelines and then be willing to be a detective. It's really a big part of this. Learn the science. Learn the science of food. Learn the science of the body so you can match them up and ask the right questions, run the right labs when appropriate. We are in a situation where autoimmunity is in an epidemic state. Hypothyroidism is almost an epidemic state. So many people are struggling with these things that we can help them to get under control. So it's worth the effort, it's worth putting in, it's worth learning about food. 
not just learning about supplements and vitamin C does this and D does that. No, understanding how the food affects the body and using all the different episodes we've put in here so far on the different functional foods for different body systems, using those to make a difference in your clients. And I will leave you with this. You can't trust the FDA to give you good information about food. You can't trust the food companies to give you good information about food. It's a money-oriented system. And I'm just saying there's a lot of evidence that a lot of the FDA is funded by the food and drug companies. And so they're not necessarily making choices for you and your client's best interest. And we can do another whole episode on food fraud. But for now, I want to leave you with this. The more you master the art of using functional food principles, along with the science of food and nutrition, when you use these to balance the hormones and the body functions, the more success you're going to have with the people that come to see you. The more you're going to hear people say, oh my God, they told me I'd never get over this. But I did. And they're going to reach their health and wellness goals. That's what we're here for, right? We want to help people to feel their best. That's going to lead you to have a fulfilling and thriving practice. Where at the end of the day, you're not just reflecting on how much you had to increase Mary's medication. You're reflecting on how happy you are that Mary is now able to play the piano again because the work she's been doing with you has reduced the inflammation in her fingers and she's feeling like she can do these things again. That's fulfillment. That's the joy of doing what we do. So learn this stuff. Just stay focused. Stay with us. Learn as much as you can and keep the connection with your clients. Connect with them and let them know you care. That's one of the missing ingredients in our system right now, which is designed to get a lot of people through. There's not a lot of time for hugs and connection. So make that what you're doing, because that's what we're here for, right? To reinvent the system. Remember to download your functional food guide at reinventhealthcare.com forward slash food. And until next time, shine on. Thank you for listening to the Reinvent Healthcare podcast. Join the movement of practitioners that are guiding people to actually get well rather than covering up their symptoms. Connect with us at reinventhealthcare.com to access resources and tools that will empower you to create a thriving health practice.